first reading from Exodus, story of Moses, the burning bush. It started off like this. It said, Moses was tending the flock and leading the flock across the desert. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there on the mountain, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and fire flaming out of a bush. So some crazy stuff has uh, happened on mountains, especially when it comes uh, to scripture. It was very true for the Israelites, uh, those people 2,000 years ago. But I think it's even still true today, to a certain extent, that the mountain is kind of the, the formidable place where you have a very raw and powerful encounter with God. You're literally kind of farther away from the world and closer to the heavens. So you could say, you people up there in the choir loft, you know what you're doing, right? But we can think of all those places in Scripture involving a, a mountain or a hill from Noah's refuge, that mountain, because of the flood, literally becoming an island of safety. Christ's miracle of the multiplication, the Beatitudes. And even, we just recall last Sunday, our gospel was that of the transfiguration. Jesus leading some of his closest disciples up that mountain to witness his glory. It was Luke chapter 9, and he had just told his disciples how much he was going to suffer, his passion, and how he was to die and that it must happen. But if that wasn't enough, uh, he then casually informed them that this also implicated them. He said just before, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I don't know about you, but that freaked them out quite a bit. To the point where Jesus noticed it. So he sought to console them, to tell them it'll be okay. So it was immediately after that, that he brought them up that mountain, Mount Tabor actually, and then he was transfigured and glorified before them, revealing to them his glory, that this too should be the reward, banishing all their fear of suffering and death. And how often in our own lives does the Lord desire to do the same exact thing for us? To notice wherever we are, whatever we're kind of carrying upon our shoulders, upon our hearts and minds, to lead us up the mountain with him, to allow us to encounter, just catch a little glimpse of the glory that's also promised to us. But I think for many of us, either consciously or subconsciously, we're, we're kind of waiting for like a big aha moment, right? For him to kind of crash through to us, to shout at us, maybe like he even did Moses. Moses kept saying, come nearer, right? to set a tree of fire in Lincoln Park over there and, you know, have us take off our sandals and encounter him. But what happens when Moses kind of goes over? Uh, he shields his face. Because to see God like that face to face, it was way too powerful. Uh, it would have meant instant death. So he covered himself. But just like the apostles, he knows that sometimes the world is a little too much for us. That that kind of sort of raw encounter that Moses had uh, would be too much for us. And so you could say he lowers himself. He humbles himself, he even kind of hides himself. I mean, he literally became a baby. He became one of us, experienced what we experienced, gave us himself in the Eucharist, all so that we will never, ever be afraid of approaching and drawing near to him. That he invites us up that mountain with him, just as he invited those disciples up. That he beckons us closer, just like he did Moses to encounter him and catch a glimpse of that glory. This is adoration, brothers and sisters. So, you know, so often we're waiting for this moment, 
but the reality is it's, it's happened. It happened 2,000 years ago, him breaking through to us, saying, I love you so much, I've become one of you. So it's then kicked back to us. You know, will we respond? Will we stop our impatient waiting and realize that he has already been calling us to respond to the invitation of meeting him and being there with him, whether it's on the mountain, whether it's in our, our car ride on the way to work or to school in the morning, to watch with him even just an hour. So just before that passion that he was foretelling, uh, he then went into the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested during Holy Week, which we're celebrating very soon. And he invited his apostles, will you watch but an hour with me? So we all know the story. They, they went into the, the garden and they all fell asleep. <laughs> it was a long day. But he was just happy that they were there with him. Now, if you've been over to, to Crane Road recently and, and noticed to your back left a giant wall that wasn't there like a few months ago, so if you haven't heard, uh, we're building an adoration chapel, a place where we can enter into that intimacy, that call with the Lord, and watch there with an hour with him. So it's going to be open 24 hours a day, six days a week, the day off being Sunday. It'll be closed for all the Sunday masses. And on senior priest here, uh, Jesus, is inviting you to go there, to maybe even sign up for an hour and show up every week to be there with Jesus. The history of, of adoration is long established in our tradition. Uh, you could say, if I'm sitting in my chair, I, I stare at this window right here, the little nativity. You could say that was one of the first moments of adoration ever upon this earth. Joseph and Mary just staring at their newborn baby, right? adoring him. And then it kind of transitioned through the centuries up until around the 12th or 13th century. Uh, Catholics got a bright idea and developed what we call now the monstrance. This beautiful thing that looks like a, a burst of a sun ray. We put our Eucharistic Lord in the middle of it. So people could kneel down and adore and pray with Jesus. Uh, it's what we have now, adoration chapels will be opening up very soon. I remember when I was a little kid growing up in Rockford, uh, my home parish was Holy Family, and I had to be maybe second or third grade when the pastor at the time, Monsignor Dan Hermes, who many, maybe you know, he was one of the founding pastors over at St. John Newman, he opened up one of Rockford's first adoration chapels. I remember that weekend well. They had all these bulletin boards outside the narthex of the church, and people can go sign up for the hour that they want. I was very confused. I had no idea what was really going on at the time. But, you know, looking back on it now. But I really hadn't experienced adoration. I grew up Catholic, Catholic school. Uh, I never really experienced it until I, I went away to college, up to St. Paul, Minnesota, University of St. Thomas. And it was there that I, I really discovered my vocation. I called to be a priest in a powerful way. Very kind of in an instant, you could say. And I went up to the priest after Mass. I said, Father, I think I'm called to be a priest. How do I kind of like go about investigating that? He's like, oh, well, Wonderful, praise God for that. How long have you been thinking about it? Well, half an hour or so, <laughs> give or take, since your homily. He's like, okay, well, maybe a little longer you should think about it. And he just kind of like asked me these questions. You know, Do you go to Mass on Sunday? It's like, well, recently, yes, that's been starting to go again. Friends have been inviting me to come back. I'm like, okay, do you go to confession? Uh, maybe not as much as I should. Do you pray every day? Uh, sometimes before meals, right? And then he said another question, do you ever go to adoration? I was like, oh, I know that word. I kind of had some memory of it in my, my parish growing up and, and my high school had it occasionally. Uh, but I said no. 
He said, well, I want you to do all those things for the next semester, and then we can kind of maybe talk about this priesthood thing. And so I did just that. Uh, I started trying to pray the rosary, reading lives about the saints, waking myself up super early in the morning, going to daily mass uh, with a group of friends. And I started to go to adoration. Remember, I took a little slot on like Tuesday evening at like 7 or 8 p.m. And I'll just be brutally honest, it was pretty brutal for the first few weeks. I was not used to it whatsoever. Didn't necessarily want to be there in terms of like my interior desires. But I knew it was good. I knew saints of old you know, speak about it. And I knew it was Jesus in that monstrance. But I was just kind of so used to the noise of the world, to music being constantly played in my dorm room, classes, TV, you name it. Uh, that to be an hour in silence with Jesus and the monstrance, uh, it kind of shook me up a little bit in like a very silent uh, and mysterious way. Uh, but I stayed with it. You know, I kind of powered through, if you will. And after about a month or two, and about after I, I stopped falling asleep in the holy hours, I was like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> like, how have I not done this before? I've missed this for, you know, 20 years. Before you know it, I came back all those months later to that priest. I said, thank you so much. It hasn't been easy, but it's transformed my heart. And I've heard the Lord speak to me powerfully in the silence and just continually reaffirm, yes, I, I want you to be a priest. Joined seminary. And so I eventually joined uh, that next fall and kind of never looked back. It's about 10 years ago. But adoration, Jesus changes us. Our faith believes that we literally eat and gnaw and chew on the body of Christ. Like that's, that's not figurative language. Christians were put to death in the early church uh, and they were accused of being cannibals because that's how boldly we proclaimed uh, what the Eucharist is. So much so that even saints have said that when we eat the Eucharist, uh, we don't metabolize it. It metabolizes us. We become like God. So to put yourself in the presence of him for an hour a week, which, which is a sacrifice, it really is, especially for young families and work schedules, it does something. Right? I just really want to invite you and encourage you to maybe think about signing up for an hour. There's cards at the end of your pews. There's sign-up boards in the back. Feel called? Just be bold. Go for it. Sign up for an hour today. If it doesn't work in a couple months, you could always request a substitute or, or switch hours. But at least take that little card home with you. And on the back, there's a little QR code you could scan with your phone or, or you could fill it out manually and put it in the collection basket next weekend uh, to sign up for an hour. And I'd just like to close with, with this gospel we heard this morning. The Samaritan woman. She who had no idea what was about to happen to her. She was just a shameful woman who lived kind of a life of sin and ostracized from her community. So she went to this watering well at noon so she would meet no one. But he knew exactly what she was doing. And so he met her there. And all of a sudden, they just started having this encounter, right, at this place. And before you know it, she went from having no idea who this guy is and being kind of weirded out by him to a minute later, she has just become the first missionary disciple even before any of the apostles, she was the one to go back into her city, that place where she experienced shame and guilt, knock on doors and tell them about Jesus. And it says the entire town was converted and believed in him. That happened 2,000 years ago, and it can happen today in St. Charles. When we encounter the Lord, 
where we kind of lose our impatient waiting for him to break through to us and realize he already has. And all we need to do is say yes. To take an hour, to show up to the church on the way to work, on the way home from school, and just say, hey Jesus, I'm here. What do you want from me? I love you.